The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning, I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Uh, you can listen to us every Wednesdays, Eastern Time, 10 to 11. Uh, the show is live, and then at the end of the day, as most of you know, we archive the show. I have two guests this morning. My first guest is uh, Martin Yate. He's a career and job expert, and he is, uh, you can go to his website, knockemdead.com. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, his book. Actually, it's a series, Knock 'em Dead series. Um, he's a New York Times best-selling author, and he's going to share with us some hard-hitting common-sense tactics that have helped millions land the job they want. Very timely right now. My second guest is uh, the superstar who was in Dynasty, Linda Evans, and uh, her book is called Recipes for Life, My Memoirs. Uh, she's a Golden Globe uh, Award winner, and uh, she's written a book, uh, she is uh, actually a series of, of recipes, of 40 recipes, which represent the most meaningful moments of her life, um, and she does this through her love of food. So she's my second guest, but first guest is Martin Yate. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Good to be with you, Catherine. I've never opened for Linda Evans before. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is the first. I mean, hey, we got... <laughs> I'm in the big leagues. You are in the big leagues. And before we got on the show, you said, hey, look, you've been doing what you've been doing for how many years? 30 years? Oh, over 30 years. I've been, right, I've been in my business 36 years. I've been writing and publishing books for 27 years. All right. So you truly are the expert. And you know what? The timing is perfect, though. It, I mean, everybody's... You know, nobody has jobs is the topic of the day. So um, I guess it's a real challenge. And that's uh, let's start off with okay, your your new book of the Knock 'em Dead series because um, you've written several. Uh, what's what what's new? What's happening now? What's new about getting a job or keeping a job or going getting back into the job force? Um, this this book, Knock 'em Dead: The Ultimate Job Search Guide, it's uh, the 2013 edition. It's the 26th annual edition of this book. We update it every year, um, and we update it every year because the issues of job search change. Um, our whole world has changed. You know, you, you say there's a lot of people looking for work and having terrible difficulty finding work. All right, so let's take those points because you said, okay, you update it every year, which obviously is important to do. What? Let's kind of pinpoint what are the changes, let's say, this year from last year in terms um, of finding a job. Uh, um, all resumes, uh, pretty much all resumes, are now delivered electronically. They're delivered uh, digitally. They're either sent via email as an attachment or put into a resume database from which they have to be um, uh, retrieved. And this, the software that uh, uh, the applicant tracking software that does this changes in sophistication every year. So that affects the way we have to write our resumes. Um, and, and there's a million technical changes that change our ability to find jobs. I, I think this year is the year that social media has really come into its own for people in their job search. Everyone listening today, Catherine, knows that networking is the best way to find a job. 
However, when we get involved in the job search, we realize that having swallowed the Kool-Aid of be loyal and work hard, we didn't have time to build a network. We thought that if we were loyal and worked hard, at the end of a, at the end of a long career, we'd have a house in town, a house out at the lake, and a boat gently bobbing at the end of the dock. <laughs> and it was a it was a heck of a surprise that this didn't happen. And and so we're up in a job search, and, and everyone says, "Oh, networking is the way to do it." And you say, "Yeah, but there's only 20 people I actually know, and I've annoyed the hell out of them in the last two months." So we, we, we know networking is good. Employers like it's a great way to job hunt because no one's rude to you. You're talking to people who you know to one degree or another. And uh, the social media maturing, not on a Facebook level, but on the LinkedIn level of professional networking has matured to such a degree. It's possible to build large and relevant social networks very quickly in this day and age. So there are changes happening all the time. We respond to them in that book and, and in other books in the series. So, Martin, how do you compete, though? Because everybody has, let's say most people have access to social media and, and your computer and what you're talking about, LinkedIn networking and stuff. So what do, how do employers kind of you know, weed out the, the, the applicants that they want to look at or... You know, it's, how do I get noticed? Yeah, how, how do, do I, I get, get noticed? That's what I'm trying to ask. Yeah, how do you get noticed amongst all of it, this it's stuff? Such a big, it's such a big challenge. Yeah. You know, you know these. Uh, everyone's heard of Monster Board and uh, Hot Jobs. You know, those two databases both have over 40 million resumes in them. It's like being a minnow in an ocean of minnows. Yeah. Um, I, I talk in, in Knock and Dead, the Ultimate Job Search Guide, and also Knock and Dead Resumes. Um, your resume, for, for everyone listening today, unless you are born independently wealthy, your resume is the single most financially important document you're ever going to own. It's the document that opens doors of opportunity. It's the document that acts as a roadmap for the interviewers. It's the document that long after you've gone, when Catherine Zox and Martin Yates are sitting down privately to decide which of these last three candidates to hire, we sit and look at the resumes. So, Martin, let me stop you there. Is it, what do you think in terms of, say, investing in oneself? Should you hire somebody to, to do this for you? I mean, or should you be sitting at your own little computer trying to write a resume? Well, well the, the big problem is, is none of us like to do this. Uh, we all think that uh, we just have to add uh, our current job to the resume, which means you don't have a resume, you have a patchwork quilt. Mm -hmm. um, it's never going to be seen. You have to start from scratch. Now, I, uh, knock and dead, we have a resume writing service. We've had a resume writing service for 19 years. But what I recommend to people is, in this world, you are somewhere in the midst of a half-century work life. The statistics say that on average, you will change job, jobs about every four years. Sometimes on your own, uh, your, your own decision, sometimes not. That in this period of time, you're likely to have three or more distinct careers. Recessions whiz by with some regularity, at least over the last 35 years. They've come by every seven to ten years. By the time you hit age 50, wage discrimination and age discrimination is going to kick in. So we're, we're taught a lot about uh, career management growing up. We're taught... Choose one thing you can do, get into debt with an education, start at the bottom, work hard, be loyal, hang on with ten fingers and ten toes, and if you lose one, hang on with nine. The fact of the matter is, this isn't true. There is no loyalty from employer to employee, which means 
that if you recognize that, you stop drinking the Kool-Aid. You've got to say, you know, I, I'm in the midst of a half-century career. I'm going to change jobs. This isn't my first one. certainly won't be my last one. These are critical survival skills for the working classes of America. America. And that's so different, as you say. I mean, totally different than when I started working. Uh, and so now I have a question. I have, and this is, a, this is a, a, a real case history, but I have a friend who has a daughter who's in New York City and her first job after college. Uh-huh. And she got, I will say, she sees herself as kind of stuck in this huge company working uh, for low wages, uh, a big prestigious company in the city, but at the same time she's in one of those little cubicles doing what she does. And she's and living with five people. <laughs> and living with five people, exactly. And she, is, and she said to me, you know, do I have to stay here a year so that, you know, I, my resume doesn't look like, well, you know, I, I left or quit after a year, or does it not make any difference anymore? I mean, this is like a dead-end job, and shouldn't I be out there just, you know, getting something else and, and just moving ahead? So I'm asking, you know, a practical question, and it, it's come up several times amongst a lot of these kids who get these jobs, go to the city, think they're going to, you know, yes. love this, you know, a particular uh, job, and they want to get out. Do you get uh, out now, or do you have it, to stay? It's it's a good question, and I've actually, you know, I handle this professionally all the time, but I've just handled this very question with the daughter of a friend of mine um, who's been in New York and has been in the same job for 15 months, and she's miserable with it. I mean, she is working in a cubicle, living with five people, and doesn't yep. make nearly enough money. Right. And, and, and my advice is this. I, I tell them, look, you're at the start of a long career. You're lucky you've got your foot in the door. You're with a good company. You need to take your medicine. Just sit down and do the job for a couple of years. Get some experience. Your first job is OJT. Your first job is on-the-job training for success. And here's how you spend your time. Number one, developing the skills of the job you have to make it secure and to be as good as you can possibly be with all the deliverables of that job to look around you and recognize that in your department, as in every department you will ever work with in the future, there is an inner circle and an outer circle. The place where all the special projects, raises, and promotions live is within the inner circle. So on your first job, learn how to do it well, get along with people, identify who are the important people in the department, who are the people who are in the inner circle, who are the people who are really making a difference and model yourself on those people because there's a set of behaviors that go with the people who get ahead in life. Now, if you're not sure how to work out who's in the inner circle and who's in the outer circle, this is how you do it. You imagine for a moment you're in your office and your 20 colleagues are around you and a fire starts in someone's trash can. And you will know immediately the person that will call the fire brigade, the person that will go and get the um, uh, fire extinguisher, the person who will go and get the bucket of sand, the person who will uh, uh, call security, and the other 16 people who will say, gee, time for a cigarette, let's leave the building. And if you use an example like that in your mind, you can tell who are the people who go to work every day to make a difference. So... In the scheme of a half-century work life, investing 18 months or two years to become good at your job, as good in the technical skills of the job as you can possibly be, to identify 
the inner circle and the outer circle of your department to identify the people who are in the inner circle and to identify their behaviors at work, how they dress, how they behave, and to model yourself on successful people, you will either be recognized within that company or you'll become more employable and marketable to other companies. At this time, you should also, every professional, take out membership in at least one professional association, go to the monthly meetings, and there, over a period of a year or two, you will get to meet and greet and know by name and by face the best connected and the most committed people in your profession in your town. That is the best advice. I have to, oh, well, first of all, for, when, this afternoon, I have to send her your book, <laughs> this young lady that I was talking to, because that is, ter- that is terrific advice and, um, and very practical, easy to do, and it gives you a goal, like as you say. So you can yeah. stay there two years and you're going to learn the skills, but at the same time, you're going to learn all this other stuff, which is going to take you to the next job, which is great. Now, I'm a social worker, so I want to talk about some people who, Maybe it's more difficult for them either to to get, let's say, back into the job market. And I mean, I don't do, deal with them now on a regular basis. But take people who are, um, suffer from addictions, let's say, drug and alcohol, who may have be very skilled people, professional people, engineers, mm-hmm. doctors, lawyers. They've been in rehab or they've been out of the workforce, but yet also they have this particular uh, emotional problems. <laughs> Is there a special way for them to get back in the job force? Do they admit to their um, addictions, or how does that work? This is a very its a good question. It's a very complex question. You and I could spend the whole day talking about this. There are so many issues involved. Um, I'm one of those people. I was too successful too young in life. And, and when you get too successful too young in life, you know, I was in my 30s when I, I first became successful. There's no one can tell you no. And I became, well, I probably was at the time. I was a, a high-functioning alcoholic. And I'm in recovery now and have been in recovery for a number of years. Um, Congratulations. And, and, and nothing happens until you face that bottom, until you say, I am an alcoholic, I am a drug abuser, and I must do something about it. Once you do that, you know, I discovered that in AA, and I was crazy. Honestly, Catherine, I thought I had to not drink for seven days before I could go to an AA meeting. Yeah. It was the worst seven days of my life. <laughs> um, and I thought, oh, you know, you know, I'm a successful man. They're, they're all going to be bums there. And, and I went, and there were people from many, many different walks of life. And, and what you discover, if you're, and I know there are people listening today who, who, are, who are in that situation I was years ago, and, and you, you don't want to go, you don't want to admit it, uh, you, you, you think you can keep going. The business world, I believe, and I don't have this, it's my observation, between two and three out of ten people are uh, serially abusing drugs and alcohol. You and know I who you that's are. Understa- I th- I, in my yeah. experience, I think that there are m- many more than that. I would say that's um, probably less mm. percentage-wise. Yeah. But, but, but there's people out there who are listening to us and saying, yeah, that's me. When you go, the one, the, the thing you will discover, you know, and I'm a writer and I've got a huge ego, right? <laughs> and I'm being fairly successful in different fields in life, and I'm, I, you know, uh, I don't stink. <laughs> the one thing I discovered when I went there, and I guarantee you, if, if this is resonating with you as you're listening to, to Catherine and I this morning, you will go there, and, and sometime between five minutes of being there, and your second visit, you'll take a deep breath and go, oh, my God, I'm not alone. 
And you will find people in different walks of life who are going through the same thing. Now, once you go through that, once you come to grips with it, and you get sober again, and you learn to deal with these issues, you then have to go and re-educate yourself about the world of work. You're going to have to go back to the people um, who you hurt, and I'm not being uh, uh, touchy-feely about this. You may, if you are abuser, you have probably lost jobs. Uh, you need to go and make amends to those people. Uh, you need to clear up your past, face your past. Uh, then you need to educate yourself about how job search is done. And if you've had a break from it, um, you've got a choice. You can either say nothing that you've just been unemployed. You can get lost in the, in, in, in the mess of the economic meltdown of the last few years, and you can get away with it. Um, there is a, a, a reasonable chance that you can network through people, through the groups you're in and find jobs. Or you can, you can have the cojones to say, you know what, I had an alcohol abuse problem and I was very highly functioning. You can see from my resume, I've done pretty well over the years, but I finally faced it and decided I had to lick it. Um, the, the statistics say that two or three people out of every ten have these problems. I'm one person you can look at and know that I'm stone cold sober. So it's a difficult decision to make, and it all depends on who you are, the profession you're in, and how you deal with it. Um, we have a website, Knock'em Dead, and if you join LinkedIn, the social networking uh, group, we have a Knock'em Dead Secrets and Strategies group there where we can talk about these kind of issues. It's not something you can handle in a couple of minutes. But the biggest thing is... Uh, let, uh, Thank you for this opportunity to reach out to people who need to face it, who haven't done anything about the 800-pound gorilla sitting in their bedroom. Yeah. How you? I want to just ask you what what made you? You were in your 30s, really successful. Obviously, you have your addiction problem. Did you have to reach rock bottom? Did you, or did you? Where were you when you decided? Okay, I have to do something about this. I have to get to AA. Well, it was it was it was actually um, uh, um, I'm 60 now. Uh, I was 47. I was in my second marriage, and it was the anniversary, my first anniversary, and I realized that the marriage was a total disaster. And we were away for the weekend, and I said, "I've got to do something. What can I do? I can't keep doing this. I can't keep destroying relationships. Doesn't matter how successful. I can't keep destroying relationships." And I looked at it and I said, you know what? I could stop drinking. That's one thing I could do. And all I have to do is not do something today. Tomorrow doesn't matter. It's that Zen thing. There is no yesterday. There is no tomorrow. There is just now. Just the present. And, 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 and I stopped drinking that day um, and uh, suffered for seven days <laughs> and, and then got a program. And it's, it's not easy. If you, you, you cannot conceive of living without your drug of choice, whether it's a martini. I loved martini and Verve Clicquot and a nice port. <laughs> I love the good things in life. And, and I miss them, but you slowly learn. It's, it's difficult at first. You can't imagine you could live without these support systems it, 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 with all the stresses of modern life, but slowly you learn you can. You, you feel better after a week and better after two weeks. And, and by, by the, you know, <laughs> By the time you get to that first month and second month and first year, your life is beginning to turn around, yeah. and it gets better and better and better. And there's a lot of people who suffer 
from alcohol and drug abuse. They're not stupid. They tend to be, a lot of them, very, very smart people who just can't handle the pressure. Uh, and sometimes it's, it's not even pressure. It's a matter of our chemical makeup. People who suffer from alcohol addiction very often uh, suffer from dopamine loss and GABA loss. Uh, these are the, the these are I think they knew, I'm not sure the medical name. Neuro, they're the neurons that that travel inside our body and make us feel comfortable in our own skin. Uh, and, and the alcohol in, in, encourages the, the the yearning for these, which it temporarily satisfies. It makes us feel better. Um, but and you have there's to come a, to, a, a, perhaps I guess a hereditary component to it also. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not an expert in these. I, I just went through it and lived. And I know if you're facing this, you can deal with it. You can't think about it over Thanksgiving and Friday. You say, you know, I'm going to do something with that. I'm not going to be stupid like that idiot guy who wrote the Knock 'em Dead books. I'm going to go down way A today and walk in, and you'll find uh -huh. you'll find someone like you, even if they don't look like you or dress like you or smell like you. You'll find people who are just like you, and you can change the trajectory of your whole life. Yeah, I, I had uh, a, a social worker actually who wrote a book who descri and described herself as a high-functioning alcoholic, and she said it's very difficult sometimes, or more difficult. I don't know uh, for high-functioning alcoholics because there's always the you know, I, well, I am functioning. Look how successful. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. And very often, very talented, very smart people are able to get by, and so um, it becomes more difficult for them to admit they have a problem and to do something about it and to make the change. Oh, absolutely. You can. I mean, I would tell people, and they'd say, you don't have a drinking problem. Don't be ridiculous. My wife at the time said, you don't have a drinking problem. That's absurd. Make me a martini. Yeah. <laughs> Well, because the expectation, you know, you see the, per as you said, you know, you expect it to go to AA and you see, you, you expect to see kind of like, the, I'm putting it in quotations, kind of the bum in the, on the street, you know. Yes. Uh, and uh, that's really not what uh, most people who have drinking problems look like. Um, so, uh, it's... Uh, my, my mentor was a very, very successful surgeon. And I'm a shallow guy. I cho chose him on the cut of his suit. Um, I also had another mentor who was a vet who didn't have a lot of money and he had problems from his Vietnam experiences um, from post-traumatic stress syndrome. Um, for, for those, may I, I make a shameful plug here, Captain, yes, for people <laughs> who are in difficulty in transition because turning your life around, making it work is tough and it can be expensive. Yeah, you go out and buy a. You, you go out and buy this Knock 'em Dead book. You can you can probably get it on discount at Barnes and Noble or Amazon, the Ultimate Job Search Guide, uh, for twelve ninety five. Uh, and and any book you buy, you're going to spend between ten and seventeen dollars on. There's something going on on Amazon from December the second to December the fifteenth. You can get the five major Knock 'em Dead books: Knock 'em Dead, the Ultimate Job Search Guide, the Resume Book the job search letter book, Secrets and Strategies, which is the career management book, and the brand new Knock 'em Dead interview book, and you can get all five for $1.99. Wow. That's a million yeah. words. It's almost $60 worth of books you can get for a buck ninety-nine between December the 2nd and the 15th. If you are looking for a job and having problems, or you have a loved one, or you're buying someone a Kindle, Stack it with this because these are lessons that will you can learn in those five books how to manage your whole this whole fifty year stretch of work life. 
there's a brand new approach to career management in there, down to writing your resume, writing letters, answering interview questions. It's a career management library for a buck ninety-nine. There's never been a deal like it before, and we decided to do it. Uh, my books are published in many languages around the world and have been for many years, and they tend to sell because we made this decision years ago. There has to be something on every page, damn it, that <laughs> someone can use today. <laughs> Very practical. Yeah, and uh, so if, if you're thinking of a gift for someone, you need some help yourself or a friend, there isn't a deal like this. And, you know, people tend to write on this topic and pad it, and they tend, you know, to to a carpenter, every problem needs a hammer and a nail. Uh, I'm, I'm not a resume writer. I'm not a headhunter. Um, I've been all these things. We have these things within our business. But I have spent my whole lifetime looking at these issues of job search and career management. And there, we offer in the Knock em Dead books a complete cohesive approach. And it will plain help you. Anyways, thank you so much for that, Catherine. Let's drive on. Yeah, that, uh, fantastic. Um, you can't beat that, $1.99. Uh, one you really last can't. question. <laughs> this will probably be the last question because we only have a few minutes left. But what about the group? And because I, I, I have a lot of women uh, listeners, and uh, what about, and this is another population uh, I just wanted to, to address for a minute, but like women who are, say, 40 years old, they have been out of the workforce, let's say they're doctors or lawyers or social workers or whatever, they've been in business, and they really haven't been in the workforce and want to come back at 40 after 15 years, let's say, of taking care of children or running the household. How do you do that? What Now, now what do you do? Well, again, this is this is a big topic, and we've just got a couple you of have minutes. Three minutes to well, answer but, yeah. Well, first, first of all, you, you can't look at yourself and say, "I haven't done anything for 15 years." You've been running a family. You've been raising kids. You've been in management. Running a family is management of people. It's conflict resolution. Um, it, it's accounts receivable and accounts payable. You have to look at all the things you've done while you've been raising that family as you would look at them where it's a paid job. And any woman who's been with this thinks that it should be a paid job, <laughs> as it should. Yeah. Um, so, first of all, you have to adapt your thinking and, and make the translation. Quick illustration, uh, many, many years ago, uh, in my last corporate job, was hiring a secretary, had a bunch of people come in. This one lady came in. Um, uh, she was in her 40s. She didn't have a briefcase. She had a shopping bag. And I asked her, because I'm a time management freak, how do you organize your time? She reached into a shopping bag and brought out a little 3 by 5 pad and started to explain to me how she prioritized her lists. That was the person I hire. There are certain transferable skills or learned behaviors that are successful to all jobs. You will see them in every job posting, and everyone says, they don't mean anything. You can put any job title above that. Everyone asks for these things. They are the, 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 they are the skills of communication skills, problem-solving skills, multitasking, time management skills, teamwork, creativity, and leadership. The thing to understand about this is these are, we call these transferable skills because they underlie success in any job you pursue. If you can connect those skills with the job you're after, that's the next thing. You can also out, go out and get some temp work now to bring your skills up to speed. You're probably going to have to scale back the job you go after. 
If you work for a blue chip company, recognize that the majority of opportunity in America, 80% of the job growth is with smaller companies, 500 employees and less. And the smaller company you work for to get going, the more they're going to appreciate the breadth of experience you have and the fact that you can get up to speed more quickly. Terrific. And, and you've answered all of this in the three minutes' time, so <laughs> <laughs> you get the job. Martin Yates, um, career and job ex- uh, expert, obviously, and uh, author of the Knock 'em Dead series. You can go to his website, knock'emdead.com. And thanks so much for being on the show. I really enjoyed talking to you this morning. Catherine, it was entirely yeah. my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a short break uh, because coming up next is Dynasty actress Linda Evans. We'll be back in a minute. We're going to be talking about her new book or her book. It's not brand new. Recipes for Life, My Mem. Memories. Uh, Catherine Zox, you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. I'm your social worker with the microphone. And uh, as you know, you can listen to us every Wednesdays from 10 to 11 live. And then we archive the show at the end of the day. Well, my next guest is here. Is She is Dynasty actress Linda Evans. Uh, we're going to be talking about her book, Recipes for Life, uh, My Memories, a fantastic book with a picture of Linda on the front, gorgeous. Um, nice to have you on the show this morning. Welcome to the Catherine Zock Show, Linda. Well, thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. And it's a good day to have you on the show because you've got all these recipes, first of all, recipes for life, Thanksgiving tomorrow. I may even take one of those, actually, as I was going through the uh, your book looking at these recipes, one for one of the salads that you have. But, um, oh, they're great. They'll, yeah. be, they'll be winners. Yeah, they, they look like they're all winners. What a life you've had. What an exciting life. I mean, recipes for life. I mean, your your book is what, a combination of your love for food and it's your whole life story. And how? let's kind of get an overview of how you kind of put these two things together. Well, I always wanted to do a cookbook. They, they actually made a deal with me during Dynasty to do one, and then I had no time. And uh, I've been asked to do my life story, so I decided to do it in vignettes and anecdotes and different sections so that I could just 
get to the point of everything. And I wanted it to be, I wanted to share the highs, the lows, the ups, the downs. It's, I think it's really important to share with women that think that when you're a television star that you've got it made and everything is perfect in your life. And I wanted to show that I live just as every woman does with my insecurities, my fears, my doubts, um, my pains, my suffering, and then I can rise out of it like everyone else can, and we can go on again to our lives. Yeah, and I think you did, you did that so well in the book because you really do go through all of the... I mean, your highs were very high. Maybe all of us don't get to experience that. I mean, as a superstar, a, you know, a television star, and the people that you associated with, um, you know, which I was, I went through a look initially through every photograph, of, and uh, I mean, you've, and then you've also had, as you say, the lows. Let's, um, well, let's start with the highs, like some of the most uh, exciting experiences in, that you've had, and the people, Steve McQueen, for one, you mentioned in the book. Let's talk about him. Well, Steve McQueen, who hasn't had a crush on Steve McQueen? Yeah, I, I always had a crush on Steve McQueen. actor. Yeah. And um, I was, uh, my agent wanted me to do the movie that Steve was not only acting in but producing and slightly directing. And he told uh, my agent that I was wrong for the part, but my agent got me in anyway. And when I, Steve opened the door to meet me, he said, wow, I told your agent you're wrong for the part, but, well, you're here, come on anyway. And he ended up giving me the part, thank God. Uh he was wonderful. He took me in. He helped select every piece of wardrobe that I wear. He was at the dentist when the gold tooth went on my my teeth. Uh, and when I showed up for work, I was so scared. I needed the job so badly, and I wanted it so desperately that I had gotten laryngitis because a few people who had been working on it were fired and replaced. And when I went to see him on the location... He talked to me for a moment, and he said, I want to tell you something. He said, I understand being nervous. He said, people think I've got it made because I've done so many successful things. He says, but before every project, I get really scared. So I understand what's happened to you. He said, you go to your room, don't talk to anybody for a week, and then you come back and you see me. And I did that, and we did the movie. You'll see if I do it. My voice is really raspy, but he helped me through every inch of that film and was so compassionate and so kind. I just and, loved him. And then the um, recipe that you have associated with it, I guess you were so anxious and nervous you got too thin. Can anybody be too thin? But I guess you were too thin. As you say, in Hollywood, no one usually says that to you, and so he, you have a favorite high-caloric, uh, recipe, potatoes and cheese with garlic, which looks great if anybody needs to put on weight. <laughs> I don't know about that, but it looks good. He used to come up to me on location and says, you're looking, see, part of his problem, he thought I was too too glamorous and too Too, pretty. too attractive, yeah. Yeah, so you lose your figure with potatoes and cheese and garlic is what I created in his name because he'd go over to the catering wagon and he'd say, what do we have? To give her some potatoes with something <laughs> in it. And they'd always whip up this stuff and he'd make me sit down and he'd watch me eat this plate of potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> so how was it? I mean, you were, I mean, and you are, you still are. I mean, just, you know, a beautiful, gorgeous, glamorous woman. How did other women respond to you? There must have been jealousy. Well, you know something, because I never t- 
took that part of me seriously because you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror, and you know what you look like before the team hits you, you know? <laughs> you know you're just a woman with lots of faults and some things that work. And I never took that as a serious thing. And because I never did, and I never did anything with it in terms of making... As a matter of fact, when I was little, my, my I have a sister a year and a half older than me. We were almost identical ten, twins. And when I was about six years old... Uh, a family member came to visit us and saw us for the first time and said, who is this pretty girl, and shoved my sister aside and made a fuss over me. And I looked at my sister, and I could feel her heart sink, and my heart sank, and I thought, this isn't nice. I never wanted anyone to be uncomfortable. And so I very much all my life made an effort to just have us all be together and not... Yeah have anything like that happen. So I've, I've not experienced that as part of my adult life. Well, I think that's interesting, and perhaps you're lucky or you were deliberate about that. You were very much obviously aware of your sister's feelings. But, you know, and I'm, I want to sort of, I mean, you say in the book how old you are, so I, it's no secret. I guess you're 70 years old. and yeah, is two it days more, ago. And, you know, aging for women I think is always more difficult than, than for men, uh, for the, uh, you know, they're supposed to somehow maintain their looks, and I don't think we do in the same way, at least not the external looks. So how has that been for you? How do you, you know, because even though you say looks aren't important, but that was part of your career and your acting oh, yeah. skills. No, 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 yeah. no. There's an absolute whole neural net in my mind that says yeah. you better get yourself together because people yeah. expect you. You know, it's hard to go out and just be without people going, oh, you're Linda Evans, and then looking at you to compare in their mind. And, and that's just a part of the profession that I had. And Betty Davis is right. Aging isn't for sissies. No, Because it's not. there are things that start happening to your body internally and externally that are, are disturbing because you feel young inside, and then these things start happening in your class. And you have to deal with them. And, you know, it's like any other thing in my life that I've had to deal with when I don't like it. I look at it and I go, okay, what are the alternatives? And I look and I go, okay, aging or dying. Let's see, I'd rather do aging. So now how am I going to have the best attitude about it I can have? How do I help this situation? Do I go get bioidentical um uh, hormones, because those are the ones that seem to be the least uh, damaging to the body. Do I continue to work out so I can be strong and, and keep my bone density? Do I get plastic surgery because I'd like to look a few years younger? And if so, how much am I willing to do? And what is it? Is it hurt? And do I know somebody that would really do it right? Or do I not care? And do I want to just enjoy these years? God knows the wisdom we get. Uh, during this time is incredible because so much of the baloney of our life goes away and we've learned so much along the way and we don't care as much about certain things that were superficial and we kind of, we kind of fall into a grace period of, wow, it's me the rest of my life and what do I want to do now that I'm out there and I don't have to live up to being a woman in this way anymore. So I like, I like this time of my life. So it's a challenge. I have two questions. Like, what choices did you make? You know, did you go out there and 
you know, have some plastic surgery or get the hormone replacement, you know, the um, therapy or exercise. I got the hormone replacement therapy and I was on it for about 15 years. And I um, did get plastic surgery after I started dating Yanni and I was through a dynasty and he was 12 years younger and uh, I was madly in love with him and was determined that I was going to look the best that I could. And, um, and I regret none of that. All of those things were wonderful things that, that worked for me. So, as you, I think you just said it, they work for you and each woman, I guess, has to decide. But I think right, one thing it's not you... right for everyone. Right. I have that have never done uh, hormone replacement and have never had plastic surgery, and they are very happy in their skin, living their life their way. And there's, so there's no way anybody should be. It depends on how your life is and who you are. So now I want to talk about something. You, you know, you mentioned Yanni, but we have to talk about um, John Derrick, and we have. I, I want to and your marriage and really interesting situation that you had with Ursula Andress and. Bo Derek and uh, the three of you being friends and all, you know, because you know, I think most people say, oh, you know, that would be impossible, you know. So what, can we just get, you know, the love of your life, you're married, and uh, then he falls in love with a 15-year-old. Okay, well, that whole situation. <laughs> I'm setting you up for the scenario, yeah. The whole situation yeah. very complicated, but I can unravel <laughs> it a little bit so you get a whole picture of it. Firstly, when I met John Derrick, who who I just adored when I was a teenager and told my sister in the movie theater I was going to marry him, and she said, sure. <laughs> well, I did. I married him. But when I met John, he had been married to Ursula Andres. He was still married to her, and she was away doing a film. So I um, was thrilled to have met him, and he photographed me and was he would talk about her as his bride, and I thought, God, what a romantic guy. I was right when I was a teenager. He's a, he's a beautiful man. And um, when, he called me up then later, and Ursula had run off with her leading man and left life open, and we eventually got t- together. They said Ursula was coming back for him because he was the love of her life, and I sort of was nervous about that day. And, of course, it came up, and when she was coming to the house and he was going to see her for the first time and I hoped that he wasn't still in love with her. I opened the door, prepared to fight her for him, <laughs> and she said, is John home? And a big tear ran down her eye and I thought, oh my God, I like her. Now what am I going to do? And invited her in. Thank God she wasn't there to get him. She was there to see him for the first time since she had run away with Jean-Paul. And we all had dinner together and Jean-Paul, as a matter of fact, came later and and it was lovely. It was very sweet, and she has remained a very close friend of mine all these years. Um, so much so that when she had her first baby, when she was almost 50, she came to my house for the last um, three or four weeks of, uh, to have her baby. And mm-hmm. I was there with her when she had it. Um, uh, now, Bo, John had gone into filmmaking and wanted to make a film, and and chose a girl, Kathleen Collins was her name, she was 15, he asked me to work with her, I taught her how to act, and as a matter of fact, yesterday was Bo's birthday, Um, and I uh, got to know her very well, they went off to Greece to do a film, 
And in two weeks, um, he called me and said, I'm in love with her. And it just was shocking to it me. Must have there been was nothing in my brain that didn't yeah. say that John and I were going to be together forever and ever and ever. So that took a, quite a while to, to get over. I, I hoped for, you know, six, eight months that he would change his mind and come back because what was he going to do with a 15-year-old? And he called one morning and he said, uh, are you dating? Dating? I thought, in my own mind, God, I'm hoping I'm going to die yeah. rather than go through this. And when we hung up and I sat up in bed and I thought, my God, why am I killing my, wanting to die, you know, hoping God will give me some kind of disease when mm-hmm. I just have to face this, get up, go out, get a job, call my agent. I said, you know what? Give me some work. I'm going to work. And I... I realized the best revenge is being happy. I want to get happy. Why am I going to die for him when he doesn't even care about me? (laughs) And I went out and I started to work. I got a a movie of the week with Robert Forster and then a movie with Richard Burton and Lee Marvin. And I started working and I met this guy. And, my God, I I fell in love with him. and, And it was like a miracle to me. And so it was so much easier when... John came back from Europe for me to embrace them both and to, I always liked both. She was just a lovely, lovely young girl. And it was John's idea uh, that they get together. And so she was my friend because I liked her, not because John was married to her. And uh, with John, you know, I'll always love John, whether he's alive or dead or in my life or in somebody else's life, because when you love somebody, you don't stop loving them just because they do things you don't like. What was his, I mean, I'm so curious, I mean, he obviously he attracted such talented, beautiful women, um, bright. What was his appeal? Can you describe it? Was his appeal? Yeah. Oh, my God. John was unlike any other man I've ever known. Um, when I saw him in that movie, it was an Arabian movie, and he was on a Arabian horse, and he was a prince. He lived very uniquely. He marched to his own drumbeat, which was like nobody else's. He was stunning-looking, beautiful, but he had a unique mind. He was very romantic. He, when you were with him, you were the only person that existed. He wrote me a love letter every night of my life. He made me boots. He found out that, uh, you know, I had boots that I liked. And in those days, Western Costume Company used to do your boots, you know, when I did Big Valley or different okay. Westerns or things. He got the last from Western Costume Company, and it took him a year to make me a pair of boots that he handcrafted. Then he'd make me... He loved working with leather, leather, and he'd put beads on it, and the beads that were hanging down would all have... Something said he would write a message to me in the colored beads, and it would be, I love you, ombre. He used to call me ombre. Okay. I mean, he, he so adored you when he loved you. People didn't exist. You were his everything. Very so he totally connected. Yeah. <laughs> he totally, he, it sounds to me anyway, the way you're describing him, like when he was in love with you, he just, he became so into, I guess it was such an, he created such an intimacy and a connection. Right. And our home was done like a Bedouin's tent. It was, everything was, you know, with furs and silks and you'd lay on the, you know, different. I mean, it was different, completely different than anybody else. We didn't live, 
you know, with waterfalls coming down out the window. He was just a very romantic guy. A very exciting man. I was, uh, yeah, I was just caught up with that when I was reading your book. But now, um, we only have a few minutes left, so now I want to go. So, Linda Evans now, at age 70, um, you're in, you live in Washington State? I live in Washington State. I came up here 20 years ago. I uh, live on 70 acres with old growth trees and a river running through it. Um, it's beautiful. It's it's not rustic like um, people say. Do you live on a ranch? No. It's it's. I'm looking at my window. They're manicured lawns with. I brought in beautiful trees, like 30 trees, and I have gardens and organic gardens and 78 fruit trees and I mean it's flowers everywhere. It's quite beautiful. It sounds. I mean, it sounds idyllic. Um, so in the middle but, of nowhere. Yeah. But so, when, <laughs> so, but are you just sitting the... there in the middle of nowhere, looking out your window at all these beautiful trees and flowers, or? And my sister lives in one corner, and my nephew lives in the other corner, and my stepdaughter from John Derrick comes up every summer, and she lives in the other corner. I mean, I'm surrounded by love and family. We have a ball. We. It's a beautiful life that I have. We have our own well. I do our own roads. We have like our own little city. We're on solar. <laughs> <laughs> what about acting or any connectedness to the you know, Hollywood community? Or uh, 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 do I do different things yeah. once in a while. I'll dip my hand. You know, I went and did that play with Joan Collins for nine months uh-huh. throughout America. That was an amazing experience. Um, I'm I'm I do things when they come up that that appeal to me. I mean. Two years ago, I took up skiing for the first time and was on the bunny slopes forever, having a blast. I went to Africa this year for a week and just lived in a Maasai village. I mean, I'm just doing, I travel a lot. I have a lot of friends and we go all over the world. So I have a really full, happy life. Well, and you put yourself in a position that you can, you have all these great choices, and as you say, they're your choices. Like this, you, it sounds like you know, you if you want to travel, you want to go to a place, you go. Thanks to Aaron Spelling, and thanks to my uh, ending of my second marriage, where I said, you know, forget this, this husband, wife, children thing isn't working out. I'm going to have a career. Bless God, the dynasty came along and financially made it possible for me that I got to be independent as I wanted to be and yeah. that I can call the shots in my life. Because, you know, everyone, well, people or whoever they are will say, you know, well, do you regret not having children? Um, well, I have my stepdaughter, Sean, who, as I said, lives right here. She's been my little girl that I adore. She helped me write this book. That's Sean Catherine Derrick in there yeah. when you see that. She I do. I, yes, I do. I see it. So you yeah, she, collaborated. Um, so I and I'm a godmother to a beautiful young girl, Aspasia, seven years old, that I'm with all the time in her family. I mean, I I don't regret a thing in my life. Everything made me who I am today. I you know I just want people. I don't have a fairy tale life. I do have my struggles, as I explained in the book, with depression when you know. Four or five people in my life went through major health issues, and I couldn't fix it all at one time. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still, you know, struggling with things, and I pick myself up. I learn and go on. So what would you say is, I mean, you have all of these strengths, obviously, and yes, it's, you know, it, and you've suffered from depression, and you've had your losses, major losses, like most of us have if we live long enough. 
Um, how do you think you got to be the way you are? I mean, would you attribute that to your parents? You know, you have a very kind of strong emotional constitution, I would say, having read your book. Um, I would say that when I learned that we have a choice every day on how we want to respond to anything that comes into our life, we can go with the fray and we can get in the mess or we can make a choice of how it feels inside of us if we make another choice that is brings us more peace or joy or relief. I, I seldom like to wallow in the pain. I see what I got to learn from the lesson, what I got to learn from the situation, and I make a choice that will take me forward in another direction because... Clearly, this is not what I want in my life. I like to be happy. I like to feel good. I choose love over anger, hate, resentment. And I go, you know what? This, this isn't good to be in, and I make another choice. Yep. Well, you make it happen. I think that's really inspiring, and I think we really have to... I want to kind of just mention what you just said. You know, don't wallowing in the pain. That's something that you don't do. The pain is there. Now what are you going to do with it and what choices are you going to make? And you've made all these great, to me, really good, sound choices throughout your life and surrounded with people who love you and family and friends and getting to do what you want to do. Um, but as a result of not stuff just happening to you, you've made it happen. Well, I think dwelling in the past is, the worst. is a minefield that doesn't yes. work. Is it's learning from the past, and then once you know what you need to know and to not do that again, bless it, it was a learning curve, and really, actually, we get strong and great from those things, not from the lighthearted things that happen in our life, and move on. to You can't have a future if you're living in the past. Mm-hmm. That's well said. We A couple more minutes left. Recipes. We haven't talked too much about the recipes, but people have to go out and buy the book, and you'll get all these fabulous recipes. Well, the recipes are treasures that yeah. I've did over the years that are surefire, you're going to love them things. I mean, really great, great recipes. So last are, question, Linda, what are you having for Thanksgiving? Oh, <laughs> and are I'm you so busy yeah. and I'm blessed to have all these interviews, you know, uh-huh. that I'm going to, um, I'm going to uh, have my uh, niece, my nephew's wife, cook. I made the, the uh, turkey base, the broth. And uh, I'm going to help provide the gravy, and um, uh, I'm going to sit back and let them take care of me. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great idea, <laughs> similar to what I'm going to do myself. Yeah, so, okay. All right, favorite recipe in the book. Is there a favorite one? Well, I would have to say, you know, there are many, like children, you can't just have one, but... Uh, there's a chocolate souffle pudding in there that people faint because the top is like a souffle, the bottom is like a pudding. It's not so delicate that it's going to uh, fall on you. It's foolproof, and you just people faint when they when they have it. And it's not really rich. It's it's just chocolatey. It's very very good. Delicious. All of these recipes look are really. I mean, they look great, but they also are. You could. They're they're doable. They're not so complicated that you don't have to be a gourmet cook to be able to to, uh, to make these recipes, which is great, and uh, all associated with different experiences in your life. So, The Dynasty Corn Pudding, too, that I 
that I got was with fresh corn and sour cream is excellent. And those salads we were talking about are ph- phenomenal. Yeah, that squash salad, the one you associate with Queen Elizabeth. Turnip squash, yeah. I that think I'm, yeah. Right. Uh, after, after the show, I'm going to go out and get the ingredients. Maybe I'll have a, <laughs> I was thinking about what I'm going to have for a salad. Love it. Yeah. They're all over the years, my very, very favorite. Great. Well, it's been great talking to you. Really well, enjoyed thank it. Thank you. Yeah. Linda, thank you. have a great day. You too, and have a happy Thanksgiving. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Linda's book is Recipes for Life, My Memories. It's a really fun, good read. Go out and get it. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you are listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. As I said, listen to us every Wednesdays, Eastern Time, 10 to 11 live, and we archive the show at the end of the day. Have a a great week, and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.